Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Beyond the Bet podcast. My name is Greg and over the coming weeks I'll be guiding you through each episode which will hopefully shed some light on the realities of gambling harms and some of the key talking points currently going on both locally and nationally. We'll also hear from those with lived experience, local treatment providers and special guests that we'll reveal to you in due course. But first, before we jump in, we would all just like to thank you for tuning in with us today. You can find us on Twitter via the handle at Beyond the Bet Podcast. So yeah, please do give us a shout and let us know what you think or whether you have any suggestions for future podcasts. You can also tweet us using the hashtag Beyond the Bet. So yeah, looking forward to hearing from you guys soon. Thanks again, and we hope you enjoy what we have in store for you over the coming weeks. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to our very first speaker of the Beyond the Bet podcast. Caitlin, project lead for the South of Wales, is going to provide an insight into why people gamble, both for those who gamble recreationally and also those who could be gambling in a harmful way. Today we're going to look at the reasons why people gamble. There's an array of social, economic, environmental and cultural issues making a really broad range of motivational factors. Financial rewards are most commonly linked to the reasons why people gamble. Many people gamble because they believe they can win money, maybe pay off debts and all their money worries disappear. Advertising promotes the it could be you scenario that anyone can be a winner and live the highly desired millionaire lifestyle and it gives a sense of hope that their life could improve. Hope is an important reason with the increased exposure of gambling led by the industry's marketing to people unhappy with their current circumstances. Have you ever talked about what you'd do with your winnings if you actually did win the lottery? But money is not always the case, and from an education and treatment perspective, exploring the other reasons is crucial to understanding the motivations of why people gamble. Other factors can play a part, including escapism, players separating themselves from the realities of everyday life. It can make you feel part of a community, potentially the only social community that someone may be part of. Gambling can help escape from reality for a while and can be social and also includes the element of risk-taking. Gambling and betting could be the social standard within a particular friendship group and some people grow up in households where gambling and other risk-taking behaviour is the norm. So being part of something is key, like people joining an office sweepstake with colleagues, maybe picking out a random name on a big racehorse and betting with friends on the winner of reality shows like Strictly Come Dancing and Love Island. In film and TV, we see characters enjoying a night out at the casino or an afternoon at the races. There's often a suggestion of cool people being social with very successful people, whether it be the glitzy casino environment, a loud and exciting amusement arcade, or even an online betting place. For the time that someone is taking part, they can be surrounded by different people, different sounds and different emotions. Some other factors of why people gamble shouldn't be ignored. Gambling passes the time, which could be a real pull for someone who has a lot of time on their hands and needs to alleviate boredom. Some people play games and gamble when they're feeling low and they want to feel better. Sometimes people start gambling very young and it becomes a way of life. Some also feel that they're developing a skill and are motivated to improve that skill. Another reason why someone gambles could be because of that feeling of giving back. Gambling for a good cause, improving the community through lottery-funded projects that you help support through buying weekly lottery tickets. 
The National Lottery has become an institution within the UK, raising over £40 billion for good causes. There's also the Health Lottery, Cancer Research UK Lottery, who say their lottery is a fun way to support life-saving research. And then there's the community school fairs and even the raffle at the kids' nativity play. It's important to consider that a lot of people gamble purely for entertainment and their social expenditure on gambling will not result in accruing debt or have a negative physical or psychological effect moving forward. This is potentially a healthy way to look at gambling in a way that it is buying entertainment. With that, there is the human nature element of risk-reward. This reinforces the importance of the phrase gambler's fallacy, thinking your odds are in your favour because you lost the previous bet. The sense of anticipation creates a natural high, an adrenaline rush, a feeling that many of us seek when looking for fun and entertainment. But what some people that gamble aren't realising is that the euphoria experienced when a gamble pays off is so exhilarating that their brain begins to crave that high. And when the bet goes bad, another bet often seems like the best answer to the emotional crash that follows losing. And with this, addiction can quickly manifest. Gambling can provide a stimulation of all our senses, a social factor, an improved skill, the feeling of giving back and an escape from everyday life. So knowing why people gamble is a key to tackling gambling harms in individuals. Thank you for that, Caitlin. That was a really thorough overview and a brilliant insight into why people may choose to bet and gamble. I think some of those points that you mentioned are underexplored and less commonly linked to gambling than others. Next up, we've got our very first guest on the Beyond the Bet podcast. James, the project lead for the northwest of England, is speaking to Simon Watts, public health registrar for the Greater Manchester region, about what is currently being undertaken at a local level and the role that public health teams and local authorities can play moving forward to try and mitigate gambling harms. We hope that you enjoy. Simon, thanks for joining us. Thanks, James. So if we could ask you first, could you tell us how you came to be involved in the work to reduce gambling harms in the Greater Manchester area? Yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm a public health registrar in Greater Manchester. Um, so I, I started working in Greater Manchester a couple of years ago now and was based with a local authority, Tameside, which is just east of uh, east of Manchester. Um, so when I joined the council, um, gambling harms was something that the council had been wanting to look at for a little while. Um, you know, it was it was becoming more on the agenda, I think, of, of councils and more in the media. Uh, so there was a desire to focus it on as, as an issue, but but no resource essentially to to kind of dedicate to to looking at the at the issue. Um, I was new and I was supernumerary because I'm on a training program, so it was kind of felt to me to kind of take a look at this uh, at gambling harms as a public health issue in the area. Um, I mean, I, I can touch on later maybe about the specific work we did in Tameside and and, uh, and Greater Manchester, but. I mean, quite early on when I joined, I did I did link up with colleagues in other councils to try and understand well what have other, what have others done on this on this health issue. Uh, so I went over to Yorkshire and Humber. They've got a really well established regional like working group. So based in Leeds, and it was at the time it was chaired by the director of public health in Leeds. Um, so on, on the back of that, I, I decided to set up a Greater Manchester group uh, initially as kind of an idea sharing kind of forum between different councils. So. You know, me and Tameside, what am I doing around around this issue? What what are we going to do and what are Salford doing? Just so we kind of had sight of uh, each other's work and we could kind of swap ideas. Um, 
I suppose following that, I took the decision to make it a bit more formal. We applied for some funding to, to kind of support a, a full programme of work in Greater Manchester around gambling harms. Um, as part of that, we, we, we got the funding and, and we, we have actually hired a programme manager to lead the work who, who joined last week, uh, which is, you know, really positive step for us. And, um, you know, I think that person's pr probably one of the only people in the country now kind of hired uh, to just focus on gambling harms uh, within the within the kind of public sector. Uh, so really positive. Um, and I suppose the, the, the other thing we did kind of quite early in, early in the year to kind of kickstart this work was was run um, an awareness raising event for for the northwest, which uh, James, I think you uh, you came along to, um, yeah. just to try and you know kick, build this awareness of gambling uh, gambling harm as a as a public health issue. Great, thank you. So, is there any evidence to suggest that problem gambling is more of an issue in Greater Manchester than say any other parts of the country? And and if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. It's quite a difficult one to answer. So. I think that the, there's a there's a an amount of evidence available at a national level around gambling harm and and how many people are suffering from gambling harm and gambling addiction. Uh, but when you try and get that down to a Greater Manchester level or a, or even a Thameside or a, a local another local authority level, it's not that reliable. So so we've got um, annual surveys, uh, household surveys that ask people about gambling. Do do you gamble? Uh, do you gamble to the point where it kind of you know, gamble too much or you can't control your gambling? But but the sample size is quite small. So when you try and apply those sample that those estimates to a local level, it's it's not particularly accurate. Um so what I what I mean the, the numbers I've kind of used in the past are some work from Leeds Beckett University a couple of years ago uh, that estimated that 1.8% of people in in cities similar to Leeds, so Manchester being a reasonably similar city to Leeds. Um, in terms of demographic and income, um, so 1.8% of people have you know suffering from a gambling kind of harm in uh, in that region. So well, we've we've used that traditionally. So in Greater Manchester, that that represents about 39,000 people, um, which sound you know 1.8% doesn't sound that high, but then uh, 39,000 people is actually more more people than the number of dependent drinkers we've got in Manchester. So you know alcohol being probably a more recognised public health issue, but but, you know, actually, this is uh, gambling is actually really affecting quite a lot of people. So and I don't think that message kind of gets out there that much. Um, but, yeah, I think there are there is issues with the with the data, like the the a lot of the studies that ask people uh, about gambling are, you know, self-reported. So I, I'd send you a survey question to ask you if you were gambling too much that, you know, you might not respond and say, well, yeah, I am. I am gambling too much. If you were gambling too much, you might decide. To just you know maybe not not give the honest answer. So there, there are some issues there with the with the data. Um, I think another important thing there is the number of affected others as well. So it's not just the gambler; it's like all the people around the gambler who might be affected by addiction. Um, so I think the numbers show it's like five to ten people for every gambler who who, who were then affected. So that might be children, it might be partner, other other kind of family members. But but I'm just finishing on the the other party question, I think, which was. Um, more around the like who you know are there more people specifically in Greater Manchester I think the, it's quite hard it's quite hard to say that this is what a kind of a gambling addict looks like in terms of demographics there's that you know um, Neil who I think you're speaking to on another podcast will probably say there's no typical kind of problem gambler so you know it's quite hard to then isolate certain groups um, I mean some work that was done again a couple of years ago that suggested that you know those on lower incomes, maybe unemployed, maybe socially isolated, 
are more vulnerable to gambling harm. So when you think about Greater Manchester, we have got some areas of lower income, some areas of higher employment, higher unemployment. Um, so we might, you know, for those areas, we might worry a bit more about whether gambling's an issue. Uh, but also then think about the impact of COVID and um, the potential economic economic impact, the social isolation throughout lockdown. They, those few vulnerabilities I just mentioned are really, really relevant, I think. Definitely. No, I totally agree with you there. Could you tell us a bit then, Simon, about kind of in Greater Manchester, how have you be, begun to tackle the issue then so far? Yeah, so um, I suppose in a few ways, and I think I think different, different aspects are more complex than others. So, um, uh, I mean, I'll talk from a local authority level maybe to start with, and uh, we did a lot of work as Tameside and, and other local authorities in Greater Manchester have, have done a lot of work to try and work with treatment providers. So, you're going to talk to Beacon Counseling Trust on one of these sessions. I mean, they've been really supportive in, in coming coming into our areas, offering um, offering treatment support to our residents. So, that, you know, that's that's been a relatively quick win in expanding that treatment provision to the, to the residents of, of Greater Manchester. Now, there's still there's still a lot of um, work to do in that area. You know, not every area in Greater Manchester has has a treatment provider in their local authority yet. But you know, that's somewhere we want to get to. Um, so, so expanding treatment provisions one. Um, I, mean, I think more, more more challenging has been trying to build awareness within the education system. So, so there's an argument that if you if children are, and uh, young people are talking about gambling harm at school, like they might talk about alcohol, like they might talk about cigarettes, uh, like they might talk about substance misuse, that that they're starting to understand a bit more about this. It's not you know it, there are risks attached. Um, now, gambling hasn't kind of why isn't widely talked about in the education system yet and and that's the place we'd like to get to so so we've been doing a bit of work with schools it's it takes a long time schools are schools are super busy and you know teachers have got a million other things to be talking about in their classes so part of it is the challenge is how we can interlink some of this to talk about gambling into other bits of the curriculum and other bits of the phse curriculum but that, that's a real area we want to want to go go into more um and another key thing is building awareness. So, so I know that you, James, uh, you kind of work with me in Tameside, and we and we hosted a kind of week of um, awareness raising events for our staff, um, frontline staff. Now that was that was really useful in terms of building that awareness in in, in staff's uh, heads about gambling as a health issue and and what to look out for if if a client kind of maybe came into customer services at the council or came into um, debt advice services and, and started you know talking about the problems they've got. Um, and again, I think there's a lot more work to do in that. So, so I mean, partly because you know we need to try and get that message out across the whole of Manchester, but but also, um, you know, how quickly does that message drop out of people's heads? So, um, if it's not revisited every twelve months, will they will they necessarily um, you know keep looking for gambling when they when they're talking to people about maybe financial worries or or other or other health issues? So, there's a real challenge there as well i think they're, they're probably the three main things we, we've kind of started to make progress on but we've got more to do um and then, and then we are starting to to look at um work with some particularly vulnerable populations as well so so we're just kicking off a piece of work with uh, uh, one of the prisons in greater manchester to see how we can support uh, the prison population we know that uh, there's a higher higher prevalence of gambling higher higher number of um kind of people who struggle with their gambling in the prisons uh, and likewise, universities, like you know, university students, quite maybe moved away from home, home for the first time, suddenly got access to a student loan. We, we know that you know 
so some students do do gamble too much at university so we're doing a piece of work with the universities as well oh, that that's great um obviously you're kind of touching on some of the work you're doing going forwards there but what else do you feel still needs to be done moving forward to kind of make a difference on the subject yeah i I think that's a really good question. I think there's lots to think about there, definitely. Um, I think councils and, and groups of local authorities have a really big role to play in in, in this issue. Um, I suppose it's important to remember as well that not you know this this issue doesn't affect everyone. Some people gamble without a problem, but but you know, I think I was saying at the start about those stats. It's it's surprising how many people are affected. I, I was surprised when I started looking at it and. And certainly, I think local authorities have got a big role to play in trying to trying to address some of that. So, I think I said there's more to do in terms of treatment and awareness. Um, but there's also a huge amount of third sector support in this space. So we've got yourselves, James at Citizens Advice, who, who are kind of commissions come in and and do awareness. We've got we've got Beacon Counselling, we've got uh, organisations like YGAM and others uh, who are going to do who can come and do education support. Um, I think part of the local authority role is to try and facilitate some of that support getting into each area. So, so there's a lot of work to do um, on that, I think. Um, and also that issue we talked about in terms of data. So we struggle with data. We struggle with local data. How can local authorities start to uh, improve that situation? So, so for, like, look at Leeds, for example. They recently did a school survey where they started to include questions about gambling um six over six thousand responses and, and suddenly you've got this kind of picture of well what does gambling look like in the school population in leeds that's that's a really good starting point and and i think we as local authorities in great manchester need to be thinking along those lines as well but but i think all this local authority work which we've talked about is is really key but but the danger is it's in vain if it's not supported by kind of more national and higher level regulation so I mean, there was the recent report from the all parliamentary group uh, talking about some recommendations for government um, in, in, you know, around what 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 regulation needs to be brought in around around gambling. And I think that that's really key. Um, I think we're, we're doing some great work locally, but without that kind of national national level uh, legislation, I think that will be lost a little bit, uh, definitely. And then there's some really sensible suggestions in that report. And and definitely, you know, those the suggestions aren't something that will constrain the kind of um you know people from gambling if people want to gamble allegedly then these new proposals won't restrict that but they they will protect people who are more vulnerable and, and potentially get you know get into get into trouble with their gambling so i think that's really key yeah definitely i totally agree with you there it's a, a really interesting report worth a worth a read what role then do you think that organizations in the community can play in helping to reduce gambling harms yeah, I think that's a really good question, and um, and and I think the simple answer is is a big role. Um, it might be something to pick up on with Neil from Beacon as well when you when you talk to him. But um, I, I think there's a huge amount of work to do with a grassroots level around around gambling harm. So um, Beacon might say that when they when they see people for treatment, uh, often they're presenting after, you know once they're quite severely addicted, their people are quite severely addicted to gambling, and and at that stage it's harder to then you know, go through some of the treatment that, that might, you know, restore that restore them um, or help them. So the, the challenge is trying to get people into treatment a little bit earlier and, and maybe just as they're starting to gamble too much, then start to have conversations about what you can do differently. Um, and I think that's where grassroots kind of community communities and organisations can come in, really. So 
so um there's some work to do maybe in outreach into certain communities and where you know I know Beacon have got community connectors, as they're called, where they go out and, and work with local communities to try and uh, talk about gambling at a, a kind of grassroots level. And uh, the idea of that is to try and, um, you know, and, you know, people signpost people to services and further support. So I think there's a real role to do there. And, and you know, it, it, I think if we can get to a point where people are being getting support earlier in the earlier in the pathway, if you like, so they're getting support when their gambling first becomes a problem rather than at the point where they're kind of extremely addicted and that, that that's that's really important and i think communities and, and grassroots organizations have got a big role to play in that definitely so finally is there anything you'd like to promote any work kind of going on in greater manchester anything else you really want to add on the subject um i think oh i think the, the greater manchester work is really really positive i, I kind of alluded to a few of the few of the projects we were kind of working on at the minute uh, when I talked earlier and, and we've got the um, we've got a new program manager who's arrived now to try and drive some of that so I think watch this space in, in terms of the, the Greater Manchester work and we've, you know we've, we're in a good position now to drive that forward. Um, I think in terms of promoting it it'd be more around a message I think so I suppose just encourage listeners to think a little bit differently around gambling um, if they don't already so you know it, it, like I said before it doesn't cause harm for everyone but but let's acknowledge that this can be like a problematic um substance if you like for some people um, um and some of those people might actually be close to us so you know when i when i talk about gambling to a group of you know more than six or seven people ten, you tend to get at least one person who says well my family member or my or my friend uh, has got this kind of problem um and that that really struck home with me because because that that doesn't reflect in the kind of 1.8 percent number that i was talking about earlier so that this is out there um but let's not let's not blame these individuals i think i mean that in everything we do, there's an element of personal responsibility, isn't there? But, but, but people have been subjected to years of marketing and sponsorship around gambling, and it's it's completely normal. You know, almost like tobacco was 20, 30 years ago. You know, you saw it everywhere. It wasn't, you know, it was just a normal thing to do. But, but then we're suddenly finding that some people are becoming um, highly addicted and and, and get, experiencing harm. And, and that, you know, that's some people are more predisposed to to become addicted to certain products, and and that. You know that that's the way it is, unfortunately. But but let, let's recognise that you know it's not just the individual. It's it's this environment of um, of gambling that is part of part of the problem here. Um, so I think yeah, let's support support these people if we can, and let's get them let's get them um, some local support. And if if we've got counselling support in in regions, then let's let's try and help them access that. But let's also support our our politicians in taking forward these recommendations that um, that are in this um, the APBG report. Um, that was released last month because I think that's combined with the local work that we've discussed. I think that national regulation is absolutely key. That's great. Um, thank you for your, your time, Sam. Much appreciated. Um, yeah, no, no worries, James. Thanks. You've got some really good messages across there about the work going on in Greater Manchester. So thanks for your time. Thanks, James. Brilliant. Our thanks goes out to Simon for that really comprehensive overview of the work that is being conducted in the Greater Manchester region. And I also think that the point about advocates and a public health approach to gambling was addressed really effectively there. Next up, we have Chris, project lead who covers the Thames Valley region, who is going to discuss what gambling harm really entails. For instance, it's not just the sole individual who is either directly or indirectly impacted upon. Take it away, Chris. Training, part two, 
defining gambling harms and the issues it can cause. Broader definition of what gambling harms means is gambling harms are the adverse impacts from gambling on the health and well-being of individuals, families, communities and society. Why is this key to understanding gambling in the current climate? It's not just the consumer or sole individual spending money on the gambling activity which could be affected. There is a wider social network of affected others, such as friends, family, line manager at work, GP, therapist, social worker, team that you manage at work, who could be directly or indirectly impacted by a person's gambling activity. This begins to consolidate our argument around the need to push gambling into the spotlight and advocate that it needs to be a public health issue. If we were to take the gambling related harm at the centre of a spider diagram, you could broadly divide the harms into six categories. On a personal level, the gambler feels stress. They, un they undergo poor health conditions. They can be prone to depression and anxiety, which in its most extreme form can lead to suicide. The gambler can neg neglect their family when they're obsessing about their gambling activity. Interpersonally, it can lead to relationship breakdown. It can have an impact on others within their families. It can lead or be a precursor to gender or other domestic violence. Legally, it can cause the gambler to resort to theft or crime to fund their habit, which ultimately leads to imprisonment and time in court. Uh, they can be made bankrupt if they're spending too much money. Financially, there can be asset losses, homes are, are lost, uh, debts can be incurred that are unsustainable. There can be a long-term financial hardship for the gambler and their families. Um, people can be made unemployed as a result of their gambling activity. Through work and study, the gambler can often be absent from work because they're, they're occupying their gambling during unsocial times of the day. Uh, it can lead to poor work performance. It can impact on workplace well-being services. With community services, it also places loads on charities, such as Citizens Advice, but other health charities around the country. And lastly, it places an increasing burden on the public purse, on the NHS, which is having to deal with the, the, the throwback of gamblers and extreme activities in gambling. Thanks for that, Chris. And yeah, it's disconcerting that we don't know exactly how many people are affected by gambling harms in the UK. And thus, gambling as an underlying issue may be more prevalent than first imagined. Our final guest of the first episode of the Beyond the Bet podcast is our very own Colin, project lead for the Yorkshire and the Humber, who is going to give us a whistle-stop tour of his lived experiences of gambling harm. We're really pleased that Colin is able to share his story with you, the listeners, as I'm sure it will resonate with many of you. Colin, thanks for joining us. No problem. Just want to start by asking you if you could just tell us about how you were introduced to gambling. Yeah, of course. I, I'm not entirely sure how I was introduced to gambling as such. Um, I don't really remember ever being introduced specifically. But what I did, my earliest memories of gambling, I'm, I'm 42 now. I can remember being probably about 11, 12 years old. Um, and we used to play cards. That was what we used to do to pass the time. Um, and 
when I was 13, got to 13, went to high school or upper school, whatever you want to call it, um, started smoking. And at that point, that was when we used to, I used to knock off school, uh, not proud, but I did quite a lot. Um, and we used to gamble for uh, cigarettes. That's how, that was, that's the earliest time that I remember actually doing. We used to, we'd sit in the flat stairwells and, and just play cards all day and just gamble for cigarettes. That's the earliest that I can remember. I don't ever remember being introduced to it. It was just something we did to pass the time while we weren't at school to start with. Okay. And what about then, how did that progress from there? What did that kind of lead into? That immediately then, I, I, I've always I've always kind of been fascinated with gaming and things like that. I've always really liked um, arcade games, going into amusement arcades when we got a Blackpool and things like that. And then as I got um, well, 13 to 14, um, I started uh, going down to the local ice rink. And that was probably when it really started because there were an amusement arcade next door to that, an adult one, um, where you had the, the uh, gambling machines, the slot machines downstairs, and then the, the arcade machines, you sort of Street Fighter games and things like that. They were upstairs. But at 14, 13, 14 years old, I used to be going in Diamond Horseshoe and I'd never make it upstairs. I'd stay downstairs. I know I shouldn't have been doing it, but I used to play on the slot machines and that that's where it really, really kicked off. Uh, I could spend hours and hours. I'd go down to with the intention of going to the ice rink and never actually make it there because the ice rink was after the Diamond Horseshoe. Uh, so I'd spend a lot of time on slot machines. Okay, so say as it progressed from there, when did you realise that the gambling was coming problematic and looking back how long do you think it had been affecting other parts of your life before you realized it was a problem i didn't realize it was a problem for years and years and years um it, it progressed for it, it started off as i say with the cards then it moved on to this the slot machines and things like that i remember uh, when i got to about 16 17 started going in bookies i started um betting on football and horse racing and things like that um and there was an amusement an adult amusement arcade called queensgate in bradford where i used to go we spend literally all day every day in there um silly little things i remember coming home from there my hands were green um because of if you people working banks will tell you and things like that if you hold pound coins for a significant length of time it, they, it starts to rub off on your hands I used to come home with green hands because I had pound coins in my hands all day, just continually pumping the machines. Um, and then it moved on, like I say, I'll do football bets. The big, the first time that I really thought about things as such, in fact, I don't mean in terms of was it a problem, but I can remember not putting a football accumulator on that I'd selected. Uh, I was late to the bookies um, and it was were, it were Ladbrokes and it was a five section. And I, um, we picked five results from uh, from five different sections of increasing difficulty as it were uh, and i picked it didn't get to the bookies in time and it came in and i won about 400 quid um that that set me off chasing that's what one of my earliest memories then because i didn't win that that would have saw me through till payday at the time and from there on then I, it was gambling on the football and the horses and anything that i could get my hands on every day to be honest with you um, it wasn't until the fixed off betting terminals came in really that it really, really started to become a problem. Um, that was probably about 2002 when I, uh, well, when they, I think they came in about 2001. 
2002, and I started playing them in about 2004, something like that. Um, and I that's when it became a massive problem for me. But in terms of being able to to stop doing it, I, I, I felt really powerless. To be honest with you, it was just a it was just a massive massive addiction, and I just could not stop doing it. I was spending hundreds of pounds a day uh, on the fixed odds. They were the worst ones for me. At that point, then, when you say it kind of reached its peak, how was it affecting other parts of your life? Uh, in every single way, because it was. I know people always talk about gambling as like the secret addiction and the hidden addiction and things like that. For me, it absolutely was. Um, at the time, then I was going to the bookies. I, I was in the police at the time, so I was working um, 24 hour shifts. My partner at the time, she was working Monday to Friday. So I'd have days off during the week where she'd be at work. I'd be sat at home all day on my own, or I should have been sat at home on my own all day. And I wasn't, I was going to the bookies. And that affected me because there were times where, for example, I knew that she'd be home from work at maybe quarter past four on an evening. Um, I'd still be in the bookies at five past four, having been there from nine, half past nine, ten o'clock, whenever they opened, um, just losing and losing and losing. I would have to absolutely belt it home to get home in time um, for her to be back so that I could then be sat casually on the couch, giving the appearance that I'd been sat there all day, when in actual fact I'd lost hundreds of pounds that day probably. Uh, and I had to just sit and smile and pretend everything were all right. And then potentially have to go to work if I work in nights, something like that, being in the police there to go and help other people when I had all this. It, it were horrific. It really, really, it was mentally exhausting because I couldn't speak to anybody or I didn't speak to anybody about it. Uh, it was just entirely done by myself. And because I were in the police on a, a relatively good wage at the time for a young lad, um, I, I I kind of had the money to do it. Um, I, well, I, I always spent the money I had and then more with loans and overdrafts and things like that. But it just meant that I could spend a lot more than I would have been able to do had I been on a, on a lesser wage. Okay. And what then made you stop? What made you kind of what changed your attitude towards your gambling? I, I stopped and restarted. I've done that several times over the years. The only time that it's, it's difficult to explain to what makes you step stop because i i always knew while i was doing it that it was wrong that i wouldn't win that i was getting further and further into debt but i, I just kept going back so to, to answer what made me stop is really really difficult um to, to sort of put my finger on but it was just I, I stopped like I say in the early sort in the two thousand sort of between two thousand and two thousand and ten. I, I sort of I might have stopped for six months and then restart and then stop again and restart. A lot of it down to finances where you know I'd run out of money and I couldn't get another loan or anything like that. Um, and I'd cleared a credit card, for example. But then as soon as it was cleared, that was almost like the green light to start it again. And that was the thing. So it never it was only ever a pause when I didn't stop until sort of much much later but by that time i'd spent literally tens thousand well we're well well into six figures that i've lost um over the years when you consider some of the the sums that i should have had that i've, I've bought and sold houses and made lots and lots of equity out of them but i've not made it because it's already gone before i've had it because i've mortgaged remortgaged it's literally lots and lots of money um but yeah, sorry, go on, mate. So when you kind of stopped, how did you do that? And did you access any support? 
Yeah, I've I've had all sorts of different support over the years. I've had the support of friends and family once I sort of uh, opened up to them. I've um, I've had counselling um, through at the time it was through NECA. Um, that was one one time. Uh, I've I mean I I paid for private hypnotherapy. It was that desperate. Um, I actually went. I didn't believe in hypnotherapy or anything, but I, I wanted to believe in it because I wanted to stop doing it, and I was at absolute desperation stakes. Um, so I've done, like I say, I've been to Gamblers Anonymous. I've sat, I've been through meetings, uh, like I said, the counselling. I've, I've tried absolutely everything. The main things that I have found that have worked for me over time, um, Gamstop, without any shadow of a doubt, because like I say after all the fixed on betting terminals I then went online that's when things really got bad for me because I was able to do it 24 hours a day uh, on my phone on my iPad <clears throat> and, I, and I literally was doing it 24 hours a day at times um, um, so but Gamstop unfortunately hasn't been around for all that long um, you're only talking in the last few years and that was, I can remember hearing about it. I remember while I was having counselling with NECA, uh, my counsellor told me that this was coming in. It just literally could not have come quick enough for me because at that time you had to self-exclude on every single app and site. And for somebody that, it, it just I just couldn't do it. I, you know, I'd, I'd self-exclude from one and then open another account somewhere else. So when Gamstop did finally come in, that was an absolute game changer. Really, really well. And that was the best one. And like I say, accessing support, Gambles Anonymous, um, each to their own. Uh, there's some people that think it's fantastic, and it is if it works for you. Um, it didn't particularly help me as such. It helped me to know that there were other people out there, but I kind of already knew that that they were there. And I think I just found more comfort in the blocking the practicalities and being open with my partner. They're the, they're the main ones, but Gamblers Anonymous is fantastic. It's just finding what works for you. Um, yeah, brilliant. So we talked about how it affected your life when it was kind of at its peak. How's your life kind of changed since you've stopped gambling and some of those issues you mentioned? How has that changed? It's infinitely better. Um, it's I wouldn't say I've got more, more money as such because I've had to pay off. I, I've paid all my debts now, which were significant. Um, so they've been they've now been cleared. So I am now more or less just starting to see the financial benefits because uh, I'm no longer having to pay the debts. But it's just little things like watching a football match. I'm so I'm massively into my sport. I love my football, my darts, my boxing. I couldn't watch them before without having a bet. It wasn't, I wasn't, and not only that, but it ruined the event for me. If I had a bet on a first goal scorer or something like that, and that goal scorer didn't, somebody else scored, that match was ruined for me, unless I then had another bet on the next goal scorer or something like that, or I, I'd, I'd set up another accumulator or things like that. Um, I can watch football and enjoy football now just for the game. I can watch all the sport. I enjoy doing that. I love not. Because I there was a time as well, I self-excluded all, all the online apps and things like that. And I, I'd go to the bookies, I, I, you know, self-excluded from the bookies in person. Physically, I went, I went in to please stop me from coming in here um, because I was always trying to find ways to bet. And it's just nice knowing that you get to a Saturday or every day of the week, as it is at the moment with football and things like that. 
it's just nice to, to be able to look forward to football or sport or doing things and being able to and just enjoy it for what it is. And I know that sounds it might sound a bit silly, but I don't my, my every thought isn't consumed by gambling as it once was. Um, it just being able to enjoy life, having a bit of extra money in my pocket, being able to afford a new PlayStation game. I, I distract myself with stuff like that now and being able to afford it rather than putting it on a credit card that I think about paying off in on the never never um and it has it's just totally changed I'm open with my partner she knows all about it um uh, being doing this job has, has helped I've found that just working within this environment it's also for me I, I feel like I will always be a compulsive gambler I think you know and I, for me I don't think I can have a bet at all I just wouldn't touch um and I think working in this environment helps. It sort of strengthens my resolve as well. Um, so, and I'm, I really, really find I find that helping other people helps me at the same time. And I found that that's it's almost been sort of quite cathartic. I found that encouraging uh, to help me as well. Yeah. What about kind of your your kind of health and well being, your your mental health? Did you notice any deterioration in that oh, during the peak of your gambling? And has absolutely. that improved? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've. I've because of the gambling. Um, for me, everything everything started with the gambling. I've had relationship breakdowns with my my daughter's mum, with my parents. Um, there's been all sorts. I'm, I'm, I've suffered with depression for years and years and years. And to look at you know you, there's there's parts of it you think oh well you know it's because of the relationship breakup or it's because of this or because of that. But then you look at the, some of the root causes of why those why these different circumstances have happened and a lot of it does actually go back to gambling um so like i said I, i've struggled with mental health for for years and years and years but I, you know I, I i did and still do i'm quite open i still take medication take antidepressants and things like that but i think by being so open just by having a conversation here with you and said oh you know i suffer from depression i take antidepressants etc um by being open and honest that has massively helped as well. Like I say, my partner knows all, absolutely everything. There's absolutely no secrets whatsoever. But yeah, the I've been in some really, really dark places, and I and I do attribute that to to gambling. But I also attribute the fact that I'm no longer gambling to no longer being in them dark places. It's uh, it, there's been a significant upturn in in everything really since stopping gambling. Brilliant. And, and the last thing then, have you got anything you want to promote? Any any message you're trying to want to get out there? Um, well, I think some of the things that I've already said really in terms of, for me, the key part is being open and honest. Speak to somebody, anybody, it, it, whether that's speaking to us, at the gambling support, whether it's ringing the Samaritans, ringing the National Gambling Helpline, speaking to your partner, friend, speak to somebody because there is so much support out there it is unbelievable people i don't think people realize just how much support is out there because gambling is so isolating it's such a solitary existence in a, in a world that you think that there's only you involved in it or you know but there's absolutely rafts of support out there um i, I really really would social media is, is fantastic for that certainly twitter there's an amazing community on twitter that i've found um, everybody is there to help you um, and you can link in with so many different services like I say ours we we obviously help people here at, at gambling support services at citizens advice and like I said there's your gam care your national gambling helpline 
Gamstop, Gamban, the, the list is endless. I could spend the next 20 minutes going through all the services. But my, my absolute basic advice is, is speak to somebody because you're definitely not on your own out there. It's brilliant. Um, and, and thanks, Colin, for, for kind of sharing your story and for your time. That's much appreciated. That's all right, no problem at all. Thank you to James and a special thanks to Colin, one of our own, for sharing his lived experience of gambling harms. I guess this leads quite nicely onto highlighting where you can access support regardless of where you live or time of day, etc. So the National Gambling Helpline, which is run by the National Treatment Provider, Gamcare, provides confidential information, advice and support for anyone who is affected by gambling problems in England, Scotland and Wales. The service is 24-7, uh, you can speak to an advisor over the phone or via the live chat platform located on the Gamcare website. Their number is 0808-8020-133. And I think that just about wraps up episode one of the Beyond the Bet podcast. Don't forget that you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Beyond the Bet Pod. And I guess that just leads me to thank everyone that contributed to this podcast, but most importantly, you, the listener. Thanks again, and we hope that you tune in with us again soon. The Beyond the Bet podcast was brought to you by the Gambling Support Service at Citizens Advice. Special mentions for episode one go out to James Calloway for production, Caitlin Tempest and Chris Webster for the training, Simon Watson, Colin Bland for the insightful interviews, a shout out to Joe Edwards for the jazzy jingle. My name is Greg, and I've been your host for this episode. Hope you tune in with us again in a few weeks' time. Thank you. The Citizens Advice Gambling Support Service is funded by Gamble Aware, an independent grant-making charity commissioning prevention and treatment services in England, Scotland and Wales, which is underpinned by research and evaluation. We'd like to thank Gamble Aware for their support in helping us to produce the podcast.